Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. The podcast allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on Black Tech Unplugged. On this episode, I have Nancy Gershi. She is a senior developer advocate for the GitHub Security Lab, where she helps bridge the gap between security researchers, developers, and open source maintainers. In her spare time, she co-leads the OWASP DevSlot project and is a member of the AWS Community Builder Group. Nancy also was named one of the top 20 women leaders in cyber in Canada in 2021. So on this episode, Nancy and I get into the nitty gritty details of application security. We talk about what application security actually is, different roles that you could have in that part of the tech industry. And we also talk about building community and how you don't have to be an influencer in order to make impact in tech. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening today. And also don't forget, if you go to the YouTube channel, you can find the full unedited version of the episode. So go to youtube.com slash Black Tech Unplugged, and you can see the video version of this interview. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Now, let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have another cybersecurity guest. So, Nancy, do you want to take a moment and introduce yourself to my listeners? We could do something called the check-in, which is your name, location, current role, and how many years you've been in tech. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Nancy Gershit. I'm located in Ottawa, Ontario, in Canada, and I'm a senior developer advocate for the GitHub Security Lab. And I've been in tech for like close to two decades, 20 years almost. Excited to have you. So let's jump into things. And let's start off by first talking about your career and your title now. So what is your exact role right now? Senior Developer Advocate for the GitHub Security Lab. Um, So basically, I work with a bunch of security researchers who look through open source projects for vulnerabilities, and they learn how to fix those vulnerabilities and use that knowledge to inform the public and products on how to secure their code. I work with them to basically uh, make it more accessible. Tell my audience some of your day-to-day activities or responsibilities that you have. I work with researchers who look through open source projects and find vulnerabilities. And it's can be complex work for someone who has never heard about that or doesn't know anything about security. So I basically take their research and talk to them and try to create content around that that is more accessible to people who code because we're really trying to secure code bases to secure software. So from their findings, I create blog posts, we create videos, create programs, and we work with GitHub Education, for example, for people that are coming up and creating content or making content accessible to them so that they know and are aware of application security. Because you may not know, but security has changed in the last, say, five years. But for a long time, security was not part of the 
based curriculum for a software engineering program, right? You had to take a special class for it or sometimes learn it on the job. But there are resources out there for it. So <laughs> we're trying to point people in the right direction and uh, let them know that it exists because it's often in my work and going to conferences, I'll be speaking with software engineers who've been working for like 10 years and have never heard about OWASP, which is the top organization for application security. And it, it seems to me like, how can you be a software developer and a good one and have not heard about that? It's because there's a lot more work to be done in awareness in that field. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what we do. <laughs> so, Nancy, technically, you're a little bit of a content creator, but not the content where it's like you are doing content for yourself. It's yes. more like content based on application security. Yeah, that's exactly it. Where I'm not putting my name on it. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> GitHub Security Lab. Yes, I'm the author of this blog post. Or, But again, it's more about the mission and not about creating my personal brand. And that's the way I decide to do it. As a developer advocate, some people do both. Uh, We have a great dev advocate, Rizal, for GitHub. And she's been doing great for GitHub and for herself. (laughs) She she puts herself out there. She creates GitHub content, but also it's her personality chiming through. Awesome. And how did you get into that role? Because I don't feel like that's not something if you go on LinkedIn, there's a hundred people of that role. So how did you get into it? Yes, I was recruited, basically. Now that I think about it, It's me getting involved in my community. I was doing my government job in risk management and needed a bit more excitement (laughs) and got involved in my community and led different projects. And yeah, I was involved in so many nonprofit projects related to education. So basically a dev advocacy and and making sure that people knew about security and cybersecurity and application security. And yeah, so I was planning events, planning meetings. And a friend of mine who did that work said, Nancy, you know that people actually get paid to do what you do, right? (laughs) I was actually planning a CTF, which is a capture the flag competition. So basically a security hackathon. And we had plenty of participants from around the world and prizes. And it was kind of a big deal without really realizing it. And then she says, yeah, like private companies would love to have events like that and have someone to do that. And then she gave my name. And within a year, I had this new amazing job. So yeah, I feel like I looked for it. But when I look back, it feels like I prepared myself for it by all these events that I was planning, but just for my own entertainment and pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about these hackathons. So capture the flag is what you called it, right? What actually happens Okay, so Capture the Flags are a series of challenges, basically security challenges, where you're supposed to hack into something. And usually each challenge has a secret that you need to discover. And it tests you on different type of things in cybersecurity would be cryptography, application security. And it's a great way to learn and have fun. And it's a community as well, a great community events where you get to learn different topics, but also meet people in the industry. So that's what we did. So sometimes when we wanted a topic to be known by our audience, we would create challenge around them. And that was a way for them to be curious and to know about a different technology. They're very common in the security community. I'll be honest. I've heard of Capture the Flag as a childhood game, but (laughs) not from the cyber security, like from that perspective. So interesting that that translates. I like that. Yes, yes, because each challenge, actually, the special code I was talking about is called the flag. And then that's the solution to whatever you succeeded to hack. Okay, okay, interesting. 
mm-hmm. you know, we might have someone listening to this episode and they're thinking, okay, you're talking about application security and you're talking about the different careers and your career, but how can someone who's interested in application security actually make that switch over into that particular sector in tech? First of all, making sure that they're interested in application security. And I think one of the best way, I'll go directly to OWASP. OWASP is O-W-A-S-P for Open Worldwide Application Security Project. And it's a nonprofit that's mainly in Europe and US, but everywhere around the world, there are chapters that you can join for free. And they have meetings, depending on how active your chapter is locally, usually it's at least once a month or at least four times a year. And they have a bunch of resources, a bunch of projects related to application security. And the most popular project within OWASP is called the OWASP Top 10, which are the 10 most common vulnerabilities in web application security. And it's not a complete list of all the vulnerabilities, but it is the top 10 as an awareness tool to let people know, you know what, the application that you're building, the software that you're creating can actually be vulnerable. It does great thing, but let's look at how it is vulnerable and how you can protect it. And once people start to learn about those top 10, then they get interested in deeper issue and deeper vulnerabilities. And I feel like being part of that community is the number one way to get access to all that knowledge because it is free, it's open. And once people get interested, they really want to share and everybody else to know. So it's also a friendly way to get to know people from the industry and who want to share. Wonderful. And for people who are listening, can you repeat the website or how to get to that particular resource? Yes, the nonprofit is called OWASP, O-W-A-S-P dot org is the website. Don't get overwhelmed just because there are different projects. Anybody can start anything, right? It's a nonprofit. Just find if there's a chapter close to your location and join, visit them, meet the project leaders, the, the chapter leaders, and from there, learn about OWASP Top 10. And then naturally, you'll navigate through the organization and know what interests you more and find the resources that you need and want. Excellent. Thank you for sharing, Nancy. Definitely appreciate that. And we were talking about your previous experience, having these communities, leading these different workshops or community events. And that's how you got into your current role. So go more into detail about that. What events were you having? Where were they being held? I started this nonprofit just before the pandemic called Secure That Cert. In cybersecurity, there's a lot of certifications. And I felt like it was really hard to stay motivated to study for all of them. And it was very lonely. And I thought, why not have groups where we would have study groups and be accountable? Of course, there's work, deep work that you have to do on your own, but having this group to stay accountable to and meeting weekly and to have a plan going forward be helpful. That's what Secure That Suit was about. So we created a CISSP, which is a top or most popular cybersecurity certification, especially for management. And that's how I met a bunch of people from my community. And from there, knowing what I did and different people that I met through there, I planned CTFs, uh, Capture the Flag events. I also was the co-leader of the OWASP chapter within my city in Ottawa. So basically finding speakers and ordering pizza. It was 
and, and getting people together in a space to talk application security and geek out once a month. Those were different events that I planned. But I think the biggest one is I was one of the co-leaders of the OWASP Desktop project. And that was a project trying to get as many beginners into text and like demystify application security and different security topics. And again, plan capture the flag events or we had a, the OWASP Dev Slop show, which was on YouTube, where we would interview different experts in the field and ask and talk about the topics and interview them and answer questions through live shows and live kind of podcasts. So, you know, doing a bunch of things like that got my name out, out there and also helped me network with people in the industry. So that opened a lot of doors for me. I really appreciate that you share how you put yourself out there. Because sometimes people in tech, we do all these amazing things outside of our nine to five, but Mm -hmm. we don't talk about creating these communities is a big deal. Yes. And what I'd like to share as well is that it's a different way because I think these days what's popular is to become an influencer and creating your brand. And and that is not my thing. Like I respect and I I love some influencers and I love what they do and I respect what they do. But to put myself out there that way didn't feel natural to me and still doesn't feel natural to me. But planning events, taking care of people, that felt more. So I rarely put myself out there, but the event or what I was trying to get done was out there. And still my name got into ears of the right people. So it's important to know that you can put yourself out there without it being all about me, 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 or my name or my brand and just being helpful to the community and being authentic and knowing that I get to this day, like messages in my LinkedIn asking for advice and knowing I saw you at that event and I saw you at this and I want to get started. People would have a specific question and and I do help out. And that's how I feel useful. Also, I know that it's impactful. There's a change, like seeing people that saw me speaking at an event and suddenly are saying, oh, I'm working in the industry and asking for advice. I've seen in the last, you know, I would say decade, people grow into cybersecurity careers and it's been very fulfilling. You bring up a really great point, especially for the introverted techies out there. You don't have to be a tech influencer. You don't have to be the TikTok star. You can make impact other ways. So I really appreciate that you brought that up. But I do have to go on the flip side and ask you who, if you have any tech influencers that are your faves. Um, You know, I guess a good friend of mine is Tanya Jenka, and she's like the queen of application security. And we have opposite personalities, right? Like with me together, and she's like the extroverted person that just, you know, like is out there. And, yeah. and I'm introverted. So Tanya Jenka, uh, she's actually known as She Hacks Purple, and she's great because she's approachable and her content is for beginners. And you don't feel overwhelmed and you're not expected to know a bunch but can grow with her community and become an expert in that field as well and get to know about different topics that you get interested in once you get more specific in your expertise. Excellent. I will definitely link that in the show notes because I think everyone should go follow her and you after the show, of course. And let's go back to application security as a whole, because you mentioned going to conferences, talking to software developers, and sounds like the security piece for application is still growing, I'll say. Not not everyone knows how to protect their stuff. Why do you think that's the scenario being that, I mean, we see it every day, things are hacked or it's just different things happen. But why do you think that we're still behind on the application security front? 
I think there was a time where it was an awareness problem, where people didn't know what was possible. But now I also feel software developers, there's a lot asked of them. We need to build very sophisticated software faster than ever. There's so many requirements and security. Your software can work without being secure and nobody will know until there's an incident. So it's often the thing that people don't think about or focus on. And it's hard. <laughs> security is hard in my advocacy. I, I try to talk about best practices and the simple low-hanging fruits that you can do. But when you go deep, you, it can get overwhelming. So to introduce these sometimes complicated practices into a process that's already demanding is not easy. And it's not often a technical issue, but a people and process problem <laughs> more than anything. That's what I found. I found that initially it was more about knowledge, but now that we have the knowledge is how do we integrate that knowledge into our processes and give people that knowledge so that they can do their job more securely. Got it. Now, what about from the schooling perspective? Because I remember you mentioned it's not a core part of the curriculum. So are they going to make changes there? What do you recommend for people who are in school and they want to actually learn about this topic? You kind of have to be a self-starter. To be a self-starter, look up the information that you need because there are resources out there and that are free to help you understand. But there's nobody holding your hand to go through that, even if there's great content out there. I don't know of any certification in application security. I don't know of any school that does application security. So therefore, it's kind of a, a weird thing where you have to let people know that it's a problem, but you need to find the solutions yourself. The resources are out there, but there's nobody holding your hand. So I also think that's part of why we don't have that many application security engineers out there. Do you think that in the next couple of years that will change? I mean, it has to change because, like I said, if you're we're just looking at society as a whole, things are changing. We can't continue on the way that we're going from a security standpoint. Absolutely. I haven't seen new programs out there. I definitely hope so. I see a lot more content creator, but I don't see a formal change. I see a lot more content out there, content creators. It's definitely more popular. People are aware of these things, but I don't see it part of a program or uh, as being something mandatory. What I'm hoping for is for us to have better tools, better framework to make the work easier for developers so that developers don't have to be security experts to do their job properly. And just by using the proper tools that they, they have the reassurance that they're doing things right. If you're thinking from a global scale, different countries or different places are on a different level. Me being from America, you're in Canada, it's like, we're only seeing part of the lens. Like, I don't know what they're doing over in Europe, if they're even ahead of us in regards to application security or not. They are. Are they really? Yes, what? they are. And it's great because my, um, you know, I know in the podcast, you talk a lot about diversity and what I found it's great in my team is that team is international and I work mainly with European from Norway, Spain, Cyprus, like everywhere. And that makes our team very diverse and they're all expert in their fields. And so in Europe and uh, even in South America, it's crazy how application security is well known and understood. And Nancy, want to switch gears. I do want to talk a little bit about your past because I always like to see how people got into tech and then also the roles they held before they got into their current role. So let's start with schooling because we were already talking about that. You were a full out computer science major. What inspired you to be a computer science major? That was 
my uncle, absolutely. I need to give him 100% of the credit because he is an engineer. And I remember him solving everything with his computer, with technology, like even choosing lottery ticket number. He created an application. He still did not win. He created a program to pick the six numbers uh, for like little Siskiyou, 649 in Montreal, Quebec. So I remember that. And everything we did together, he solved with his computer. And that's how I realized that I love technology and I love what it could do for us. So with my peers, I was always someone advanced, basically like knowing about technology. But then when I went to college, it was my first time having a computer. <laughs> so the switch was very drastic. I went to an all-girl high school as well, okay. where nobody really cared or didn't focus about technology and computers. I feel like I was the expert there. And then going to college and realizing, oh, I know absolutely nothing. In my class, there's a bunch of men or guys or young men who have been coding since they were four and had all sorts of computers at home. And I bought my computer a week before class started. (laughs) And, you know, they're teaching me about like the browser, like really, really, really basic stuff. Because you need to remember now kids know about browsers and what to do and how to burn almost. When I think back about it, the little I knew about computers when I started my computer science degree was was pretty scary or, and I'm impressed with myself continuing basically into computer science with the difference levels that I had with my peers in, in those classes. And also, what did your peer group look like? Were you the only black woman? Were there um, any other women? Very few women and only one, Virginia. I still forget. Wow. <laughs> Virginia, I still remember her. Uh, and we graduated together and we, you know, we turned out to be friends and we're not in touch these days, but we were together for the whole time. And it's a weird thing where you realize, okay, I don't know as much as all these other people, but also realize that I have everything I need to succeed. Taking a, this class and you're like, I get this. I can... I can ace this. <laughs> so you you feel behind, but you also feel like you have the ability to succeed. So it's fun to have each other, to push each other and move forward and realize, no, no, we can do it. Don't give up. You can't give up because we're the only two. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome, though, that you had a support system. A lot of people don't. And especially if you're a Black woman in computer science at certain universities, it's like you are literally the only one. And you don't want to fail. You want to achieve it because you're the only one. So it's good when you have support and you're like, okay, we both can do this. Yes. And I also have to give credit to my teachers. I feel like I was lucky. I don't know. It's, I don't think it's everybody's experience, but they were so encouraging. I remember like there was a lot of women teachers as well and programming. I remember doing a program in an algorithm and not being satisfied because knowing In computers, when you program, I remember knowing what I wanted it to do, but not knowing how to get there and just having the right thinking, but not having all the tools and having a teacher saying, I see you, I see how you think, I know you have everything to succeed and I'll help you get there. And don't worry if you feel like you're blocked, I'll help you through there. And to have somebody else have this confidence in you is really empowering and saying like, okay, I have somebody to hold my hand. And again, thinking back about it, I I don't think I I understood that (laughs) at the time. But now that I think back, I really had a great support system in my peers and in the teachers there. Well, hindsight is always 20-20. So I totally- Absolutely. So after college, you graduate, what was your first role? 
First role as a college is a sysadmin for the RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is our Canadian FBI. And I'm in a role in the special investigations, where it's the first time they hire a computer science graduate because they realized that all their material was analog. So everything was being converted into computers and they're like, okay, we need equipment to talk to each other. So we need somebody who understand networking. So we were discovering new things and trying new things. And there was no pat written for me, but they knew that there was no solution out there. So there was no pressure for me to do the job right because we were all discovering this together. So it's a great environment to learn and to experiment with different technologies. So sometimes though, when there's no path already laid out for you and you're all learning together, that can be a little bit scary too. So were there any lessons you learned? Just not to be scared and that you can always figure it out. The confidence that you need to have is not in knowing the solution, but that you can get there and that there's information out there and that step-by-step and breaking down the problem and not thinking about the solution at the end, but saying, okay, what, what's the next step for me to be closer to my solution? And it helped me like looking through documentation, being problem-solving, not having a path freed me from finding my own and saying, it's not just me at I didn't have as much self-doubt and saying, oh, everybody's able to do it. We're all doing this for the first time. And again, a good support system that allowed me to experiment and be successful. So that helped. (laughs) And did you use any of the skills that you learned at that role for your current role? Absolutely. And is to be able to solve problems and to realize that there is no solution written. The same solution doesn't work for everybody. And understanding the problem, defining your problem clearly, and then taking it step by step to find your solution. So problem solving, being confident in your ability to solve problems is the number one thing that has been helpful for me in my career. When imposter syndrome knocks <laughs> on the door, that's what I need to remind myself and say, okay, yeah, anybody else can do it. I can do it too. And there's no solution now. Let's break it down and find help. And don't be worried. Ask for help when you're blocked, but do your best and do your research and go further, push further. Don't give up. But real talk, when you were in college, being one of two women who graduated from computer science, I feel like- yes. All imposter syndrome had to go out the window because, girl, you was already doing everything. <laughs> like, I feel like if you've done that, you're almost unstoppable. But I do understand that imposter syndrome pops up at the most random times. Yes, it does. And also, I still feel that to this day. Like, I feel like you're always behind. There's always new things to learn. And there's the more you know, the more you realize you don't know a bunch of things. And I have a lot of self-doubt, which I actually find is an asset because it makes me think through and double check things and makes me more thorough, but also gives me imposter syndrome. So there's pros and cons to it all. To this day, I have it. I just have to remind myself sometimes of what I've done in the past and that I'm not here by accident. Some people wake up and they're like, I don't have it anymore. I'm that girl. And sometimes it's like, you know, we're going to take it hour by hour because 
But yes. I'm here. But I'm here. Yes. No, no, I'm glad you, you bring that up because we do have moments where you're like, I'm unstoppable. Yes, I am great. I am that girl. Yes, I do have moments like that. And then, you know, the year after. And again, I, I talk about network and being surrounded by great people. I think it's important because that's what I think my friends do and my network does is just remind me like, no, 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 you can't be talking that way because you did this and you did that and, and you're able to do this. So having people around you to remind you why you're here is helpful. <laughs> Definitely helpful. Yes. So find your find your tribe, find your find your crew. <laughs> yes. Find your hype crew. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and Nancy, also besides doing the system administrator role, you did oh, another role where you were an IT security analyst too, right? Absolutely. When I worked for the RCMP, the Canadian FBI, it was great, exciting work, but I always felt like if I lose that job or if I want to move on from that job, who will hire me? It's so specific to special investigation. So uh, it kind of got worried and ambitious <laughs> at the same time and said, you know, I need to move on and get a skill that makes me more marketable. And it turns out that without even knowing, I did a lot of security working for the police because we needed to protect the data. I didn't call it security, but then the more I learned about it, I realized, oh, I'm basically a security expert. And that's when I made my move in being a security analyst, because I realized I already had that thought process, that thinking of securing everything that I did to work in a secure manner and have those confidentiality, integrity, availability of my system was always top of mind, whatever I did. So that's when I switched into uh, that GRC, the governance and risk management role, which was a a less technical role. It's more an assessment and advising role. But with the technical background that I had, I had that ability to have technical conversation and some credibility with the people I worked with. So that was uh, a great way to transition into cybersecurity, which wasn't called that way. It was information security at the time. So let's unpack that a little bit. And let's start with your itch to not be basically put into a box with your first yes. role. So was there any aha moment or were you just like, look, I mean, I put in some time here, but I am, I got to go. Yes. I was, I think seven years in and then I'm like, this is fun and all, but how do I move on? How, how do I get promoted? And yeah. um, yes. And I, I wasn't thinking, I was having so much fun. It was so great that I wasn't thinking about that. But at some point I was like, okay, so let's think career and how am I going to move on from here? And how can I create a resume with my skill set? Because it's not things that people would want. Like the technologies I was working with, nobody was working with that or with the same intent. Like now that I think about it, it was completely false that I couldn't find a job because just the way I was thinking and the creativity and the problem solving skills that I acquired doing that job. Mm-hmm. I could do a lot of different things, but you know, that was my belief. Technology I'm working with are too specific. Nobody will want to hire me. And so I guess that's why I said I was kind of being ambitious and saying, I want my career to grow. And what can I do? How can I switch in a way that will make me really, really marketable? And when you actually follow that ambition and you start looking for roles, I just want to talk through that process. What did you do in order to find your new role? Were you networking a lot? Were you applying for, I don't want to say any and every job, but were you applying for a lot of roles that you were seeing? What was your process? 
Yes, I was so focused. I, I was applying to everything, <laughs> but uh, I tried to be specific about security because I, I was in the government employee at the time and I was looking at all the roles and I say, I feel like I have this skill. So I figured out early that security was my next step. And then I kept applying, but there was no follow-up. I didn't get a rejection, but nothing was happening. And then contacted HR and said, okay, I'm applying. I feel like I'm qualified to do this job. What am I doing wrong? And she coached into building my resume in a way that's because in the government, the king of them, there's a very specific format to make your resume. So based on their requirement, you need to make sure that you use the same word so that somebody who's reading that resume is not necessarily in IT. So if they don't see the word from the requirement in your CV, then you say it in a different way that they don't understand. They don't make the connection and then they don't know. And I also believe it was about people knowing your name. Because as soon as I made that call, suddenly, yes, I changed a few things in my resume, but it didn't explain the the silence, the fact that nobody was calling back. And suddenly after that call to HR and saying, hey, (laughs) I want to get promoted. I feel I'm qualified. Suddenly my resume was getting picked up. I was getting called for interviews and got promoted in the next two months. So it's advocating for yourself. And that's also a message for anybody in your career. And that's when I also realized sometimes you'll meet this unicorn mentor who will push you and send your name. And just like the job I got right now, when I met Sasha and she gave my name and they contacted me, that was great. But that's not the norm. You have to find the opportunities and push for them even before you're ready. (laughs) Just believe in your ability. Let them say no. That's something I say a lot. Let them say no. Because I used to say, look at position and say, oh, this is too hard, or I don't have everything that they want. So therefore, uh, it doesn't work. So yeah. I love that philosophy, uh, let them say no. Yes. A lot of times we take ourselves out of the running before anything even has happened. Absolutely. And that's not the way to move forward. You'll see. You'll see how how doors open up once you you let them assess and don't close the door for yourself. (laughs) Right. And also I wanted to touch on the advocating for yourself part. It is so crazy to me that they just went radio silence and this is your current place of employment, but they didn't want to even tell you like, Hey, we chose someone else or we're going with other candidates, just radio silence until you put yourself out there. So note to self people put yourself out there and the follow-up because a lot of times people are like, I don't believe in the follow-up. No, the follow-up is probably one of yeah. the most important things that you can do. I don't care if you follow up tomorrow, the day after, in a month, follow-up. Yeah. And understand, and it was also a government environment. And just True. letting them know, hey, I'm paying attention to this. What is going on? Right? Sometimes it's, if nobody's talking, if nobody's paying attention, I just don't have to say anything and thing continues. But when you're telling people, I'm here, I'm intentional, I'm paying attention, I'm looking at the process, <laughs> suddenly people like kind of sit straight up and <laughs> kind of do things right and need to provide answers. And I became a bit difficult to ignore at that point. They had to give me answers. It's like, why? I don't mind a no, but why was there a no if if I met the requirement? And I'm I'm internal to the government, right? Like it's not right. somebody from elsewhere. So you, you have a resource within the organization. Why are you not using it? And when they didn't have answers, things started moving. So... <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? I highly approve of bringing attention to yourself in that way, because I think a lot of times we kind of sit back and like, let things ride. No, bring attention. What's the worst that's going to happen? Exactly. 
especially when you're starting your career, I find that there's people want to help most of the time, right? As a Black woman in tech, it got harder when I got promoted, when I started getting management position. Because earlier in the career, I find a lot of people are kind of like, yeah, or diversity is important, or they're surprised that there was a Black woman in tech that can actually do her job. And they're impressed, which that's funny. Like, I feel like as a young, young student, I was flattered by it, but maybe like three, four years into it, I'm like, how are you impressed with this? This is my career. If you don't expect that from me, what what are you expecting exactly? Right? Like what used to be a compliment became an insult and management was more difficult because being a junior as a Black person in tech is, is more common, but then being the manager and giving a direction and having to be listened to and having this authority can be challenging. And Nancy, we've talked about your current role, your career and other roles in tech. I do want to wrap up today's conversation just talking about application security topics and any advice that you would have for my listeners. So one question I have is we talked about people securing their code. What advice or what resources do you have in regards for people who are looking to secure their code? I'll go back to OWASP. <laughs> I know I'm repeating <laughs> myself, but it, it is really the foundation of it all. Well, you'll find, and the resources are free. And from there, you'll get to know other things, but you'll even see if you take a class online, you take a class in your university, they will be taking OWASP resources to teach you. So I'm not <laughs> exaggerating by saying that OWASP is what you should follow and where you should go first and join your local chapter. If you don't want to join the local chapter, find the resources online, you know, the OWASP top 10, I think that's the number one project to look at, to understand why application is so important and what you can do about it. Cause it talks about the vulnerabilities, but it also tells you about how to fix them. So it's definitely something I think uh, you should start with. Okay. And then if we're looking towards the future, obviously there's a lot of security threats. Like I said, things are happening every day and things we probably don't even know about. From your perspective of application security, what does the future look like? Do you think that the number of threats will continue to increase? What do those threats look like? Give me some of your insights there. Yeah, I definitely think that it's working with a bunch of researchers who their job is 100% all the time finding new vulnerabilities. I find from the attacker side and defender side, people are looking for vulnerabilities because it's very lucrative. So it's just going to be, and all software have vulnerabilities. There's no software without vulnerabilities. It's, you know, maybe we haven't found them yet, (laughs) but we will. The more we create, the more flaws there will be. So that's why I'm betting more on better frameworks, better processes, better tools uh, to make sure that we're doing things securely, but also education and just awareness of what is vulnerable and what you can do as a coder, as a software engineer, what kind of practices you can put in place to make sure that you're building secure software. And also just from an application security standpoint in general, I feel like it's not a topic that it's kind of thrown under cybersecurity. But what I want to ask you is from the standpoint of it being like standalone, because it really is a big topic, what think the listeners need to know about application security? I'll start with, it's not as scary as everyone makes it out to be. It seems like it's a pretty reasonable topic that you can easily start researching. Yes, it's definitely something, but also... I think it's awareness. It's understanding that your software, because for many years, they didn't 
a lot of software developers did not understand that their software was vulnerable. So once you're aware, because software developers are smart, <laughs> some of the <laughs> smartest people, like I do respect them. And they're not doing their work insecurely because they want to. Sometimes they're not aware that this is part of the quality of their code. And once you show a software developer that their code is vulnerable, they want to fix it. They're very proud. <laughs> they can be very proud because that's what they created. So it's just being aware of what's possible and how there's a, a type of people out there that are trying to use your software, what you create in a way that was not intended to be used. And that's making the rest of the environment or the ecosystem a bit insecure. So staying aware, making sure that you have the best practices and the processes in place to do your job as securely as possible and to do your best. And also assess the risk and understanding what is important to me and what am I trying to protect? What is really important for me? Am I collecting customer data? Am I doing, uh, collecting personal information? You don't have to secure everything, but understanding what's the most important to me? Where am I the most vulnerable? And let's focus on that first. Excellent advice. Thank you, Nancy. And to end today's conversation, I always open the floor for my guests. If they have any additional advice or instructions that they want to give the listeners, now's your turn. On a security perspective, I just want to tell people like whenever they're building or if they're a software developer or whatever they do in tech, they don't have to be a security specialist to, to do security. There's a saying in our field, security is everybody's job. And what we mean by that is that if you're part of the chain of the of the cycle, you can help make the, the ecosystem more secure. So when you're building something, always look up, how can I do this securely? Or is there any vulnerability in what I'm doing? And I feel like being a builder and having security practices are, it's, it's a superpower and you don't have to be a security specialist to do security. Well, Nancy, it has been great having you on the pod. Also Thank you for, for having me. who want to follow you, where can they find you on social media and all that good stuff? The best way to find me is on LinkedIn to find my name. Uh, probably in your show notes, you'll have my last yeah. name, Nancy Gershé. And just look me up. And if you have questions, I can direct you. I'm happy to answer emails and questions. Like I said, I, I don't have my personal brand per se, but I'm always happy to help somebody uh, who would want to know more about application security or even cybersecurity in general. Awesome. Again, Nancy, so great to have you on the podcast. Glad you could drop some knowledge on application security because we all need to know what's going on there. And again, appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.